American Scouser. I will be your host today, Gordon. With me is Jamie. How are you doing, Jamie? Not too bad, big lad. Not too bad. Excellent. And Chris, how are you? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm good. That's a, that's a lie. You're struggling, aren't you? you All right. I am a bit sick. Don't, don't. We'll, we'll go easy on him. <laughs> yeah, no trauma questions. Mention. We'll give you the T-ball the t- questions. All right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, was, it, was it the game that made you a little shaky? That second half made you a little queasy? Or what, what was it? I don't know, maybe. Because that, yeah, I mean, before we get into this, like that second half was... I, I don't even know. <laughs> it was definitely yeah, a contributing factor. <laughs> it made the heart race. It felt like some of the games last year, you know, uh, some of the bigger games when we were in the run-in, you know, with Newcastle as well as uh, the Tottenham game where it tied and, and just needing that, needing that goal in the last minute or so. It felt like that where you're just hanging on. Every, every ball that's kicked, you're breathing in and breathing out with, with the possession so i can only imagine it, it did my head in i needed a break at that i didn't do i had all these plans that i didn't do anything i just stayed in and relaxed the rest of the day yeah it was it was a strange game i mean i think when we look at it and yeah and it was it was the old cliche of a game of two halves we were very much liverpool in the first half that second half i don't know what happened but we were all over the place you know, there was just players being caught out of position. We were being pulled about everywhere, and nobody seemed to. There seemed to be no cohesion uh, within the group. But uh, like the first half, it was just us. You know, we were just doing our thing and and everything else. But um, I don't. Know, I think maybe a bit of fatigue. You know, I think fatigue had a bit to do with it. I mean, at the end of the game, I think with about five six minutes to go, I was looking at Fabinho and he was laboring. You know, he was really, really struggling to, to to keep up with the with the rest of the game, and it's it's, I mean, it's a testament to to the players themselves. They've played so many games, you know, and it's been pretty much the same lineup, you know. So to come in off that, you know, the trip to Monopoly and then come back into this game, and we knew it was going to be tough. We knew they were going to get in our faces, and you know, you're up against a player like Conte, you know, it, it, it you know, there's always going to be somebody there in your face, um, and and I just think. It eventually just caught up, you know, and and fair play to Chelsea. You know, they yeah. they uh, they turned it up in the second half, and and they really put the pressure on us, but we held on. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you about being leggy, uh, especially with Fabinho. I mean, he made that rugby tackle and late in the second, and <laughs> he he was unbelievable. Tackle. Yeah, it was. It was a great tackle too. It, and uh, and they were joking. The commentators were joking as he was going down. He like nodded to the ref halfway into the tackle. Like, yeah, I'll take the yellow for this. I just I can't run. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it was great but, to see. Get great to see him sticking the leg out always. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. His is one of the players that prefers to make the tackle after the player is past him. Like he almost allows them to to go past because he really enjoys that. Coming from the side, he's one of the best at it too. But Jamie, your takes from the game, like initially, how did you feel about it? Uh, very similar, lads. Um, you know, first half, great, great game. We were looking at obviously away to Stamford Bridge is never a, an easy, an easy treat. Um, and second half, they put us under probably the most pressure 
we've seen, um, bar bar the Napoli game, um, probably the most pressure we've seen since since Barca. <laughs> you know, um, God knows Tottenham didn't put up a fight in the Champions League, but um, I don't know. It was um, it was good to grind out the win. Um, Kante obviously hasn't played much football this season, so he he kind of. Excuse me. Same thing as the Super League, just kind of fresh legs and kind of ran the game a wee bit. Um, his goal was, you know, hats off to the lad. His goal was pretty good. Um, question a wee bit of Fabinho with the with the legs there again, where he just kind of let him slide past him. But um, yeah. you know, big big hats off to the boys for putting the work in on the training pitch with the with the set pieces. You know. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, but the Trent goal was unreal. I mean, normally from that that yardage, you're looking at a pretty difficult shot. I mean, normally when you give a, a foul away that close to the box, to get it up and over the wall is, is a really difficult feat. For, so for them to pull that little move where they just slid it across the – the 18 yard box and, and let Trent have a rip. I mean, that's just, it was gorgeous. Perfect. Inside of the, inside of the boot, you know, there was absolutely no stopping it. You could, you could put, uh, uh, De Gea, Courtois, get, get all three or four of those, those, you know, world-class allegedly goalkeepers on the line and they're, they're still not getting near it, you know? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> Joe, Joe Gomez wouldn't have needed the touch off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you see that little video that they did, the the, the trading video with uh, Shaq and and Virgil came in to do one? I think it was like a New Balance uh, promo or something. I think it was FIFA Twenty, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you're right, you're you're right. But yeah, he went Gomez went five for five. Yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. Well, I we did talk about. Um, in the Newcastle game after that, we talked about how, you know, if the teams are going to score against us, it's got to be a good goal, that Newcastle goal, obviously. I still think it, there's a hint of offsides on that initial ball over the top, but we won't go into it. That's a few games away, but uh, it was a good strike, and, and this was the same thing. Like, the only thing that beat us was uh, a decent strike. Obviously, Fabinho just kind of let him run. He, he just pretty much stopped and and was hoping somebody would would come and check in, and everyone just kind of stood around and, and let him have it. But it was a decent strike. I mean, are you guys do you guys see any issues with that, or, or are you pretty much in the same mind where that's going to be the only thing that's going to beat us this year? I think so. Yeah. I mean, if if you look at that goal and you look at the space that Canty was given, um, just before he he, he cuts up. I mean, he did everything with his right foot, but just when he cut it across to take the shot, and there there was a replay where you could see it was from behind Canty, and you could see Fabinho in front of him, and you can see Fabinho uh, like gesture to Henderson, almost as if to say, look, this is in your your sort of space, come and block this, and then Henderson sort of was like, no, it's your space, and I just think it was a bit of miscommunication, and, and Canty just took his chance well. You know, it was a superb yeah. finish. Um, and, and if you think about it, I mean, the majority of the goals that we concede are wonder strikes. You know, it's 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 you know it's very rarely we we have a top end scored against us. You know, and 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 I think a lot of the goals that we're seeing, like the Willem's goal, 
like the Cante goal, the thunder one their strikes from the outside the you know the edge of the box, outside the box into the top corner. You know, and unless the goalkeeper's completely on his game, he's not going to get it. You know, um, and and I don't think Allison would have saved that one. I think he might have saved the Williams one, but uh, I don't think he would have saved that Cante one because that was just right in the top corner. Uh, right, right, I know it's dead corner. That's a tough, tough to like position position yourself to, to cut that angle off. Well, especially if he's coming in from the right, the tendency for the goalkeeper is to move to his. Sorry, he was cutting in from our left hand side, which would be his right. right. So, so he's right. coming across the goal. So the tendency for the goalkeeper is to move towards, is to move across the goal uh, and get a, a central kind of position. Um, and I think he was he was on that and moving towards the far post, and then Candy cut back and put it in the top corner. So I mean, there's a lot of factors in there. Uh, but I just think it's a good goal, you know, uh, and on the day he hit it. Um, I think it was a deserved goal. I think at the time it came, Chelsea were on top of the game. And I fully expected them to equalize. I just thought we looked shaky. Um, but he brought on he brought on Milner and he brought on Lalana uh, towards the end of the game. And I've seen a lot of people complaining, why didn't he bring on Shaq? Why didn't he bring on Ox? Uh, I think he brought on Lalana because he's more of a defensive Although he has all these tricks and he's a good attacking player, he's more of a defensive player than, say, the Ox or Shaq. So I think he was just trying to play you know, sensible football. The lad and, is quick to get in your face, like, isn't he? He's yeah. a good presser. Well, he, so. he, he used to be the trigger for the press. Absolutely. You know, so he he um, he um he's another good player to get in there, especially if we're trying to hold on to a lead. You know, yes, I get it. We want to go out and we want to score eight goals like City. But you have to understand that you can't do that every week. You know, City aren't going to meet Watford every week. And City aren't going to beat Watford 8-0 every week. You know, it just... It was just one of those things... You know, it was game management. And it was smart games management. We we, we won the game, so there can be no complaints. Yes, we were all over the place. But we ground out the result. And I'll take a 2-1 all day long. You know, three points. Yeah, three points. Great, great points there. That was one of the things that I, I had had in my notes. Is just that... Two years ago, we played some extremely electric football, and we had absolutely no defense, and it didn't work for us. And even when we, we were battling for the title under Rodgers, it was the same thing. It's just, let's see if we can score more than the, the opposition. We had no answers when they had the ball. And last year, we sort of saw a, a, a big dip in that electricity, but game management was up. And this year, what I'm seeing is we've got both. And I, I'm really enjoying it. Like the first half was like you guys had mentioned, it was just that was typical Liverpool. It's just we controlled and bossed the whole game. We could do what we wanted. We could score when we wanted to. And you just knew the belief because when that offsides goal went in, we scored what like 45 seconds after that. It was just like we went right up the other side and scored. It's just it was almost as if we had scored a goal. It was it gave us that much momentum. What do you guys think about that comparison? Do you think that we've we've sort of found the the balance between the two, the man management and the electric football? Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I think we have, and I think that's where a lot of the arguments come in about our midfield. You know, like like you said, that season where where Rogers took us to second, it was all attack. You know, and, and in the first couple of seasons with Klopp, it was you know the old gag and pressing. Um, just getting people's faces and score lots of goals. Uh, the problem is 
when you play that style of football, when you come up against teams like Burnley, as we did at that time, um, who stuck 11 players behind the ball and then hit us in the break and beat us 2-0. You know, and that, that that's where that I'll score more goals than you falls flat. Because if you haven't got a plan B, uh, you're going to get destroyed. Especially against these teams that want to sit back and won't allow you to play. It's great when we can go and, and we can beat Arsenal and be 4-0 up at halftime. Because Arsenal are going to come to play. They've got the players to do it. And they believe that they can win the game. But when you go up against a team like Burnley or or even Norwich, for an example, you know, they give us a bit of a run at the start of the season as well. Um, they're, you know, they're playing a, a, a defensive style of football. Uh, we're going to see different here against Sheffield United on Saturday. You know, uh, Sheffield United have come into the league and they're like, eh, we're just going to go and play our football. And, excuse me, sorry, play attacking football. And, what we're going to see on Saturday is them playing this attack in football and us just staying on the ball and going and scoring goals. Unlike Chelsea, uh, who, you know, they have all the makings for a great team. And there's a lot of young players in there that are hungry and, and quality football. That, that Mason Mount kid is an unbelievable footballer. Um, I, I have to give him a shout out. Unreal. Um, but that's what I'm saying. You, you just can't outscore every team. And we had to do something about the defence. And what's happened is we've got this balance of unbelievable front three and unbelievable back five. And then we have this midfield that almost gets overlooked. A lot of people look at them and go, oh, they're not good enough and they're not this. We won the Champions League. We only lost one game in the league last season. Yeah, that midfield's crap. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) But for for the style of football we play, the midfielders aren't um, a big part of that um, attack and for- going forward. Um, we don't have a number 10. We, we don't have that traditional number eight. Um, both of our sort of central midfielders pull out wide to support the fullbacks. And then you've got Fabinho through the middle and Bobby dropping deep. So it, the way our team is set up, that our midfield isn't meant to be um, all inspiring and all sort of um, creation, you know, creation of goals and all that kind of stuff because of the style of football we play. You know, Fabinho plays it out wide to the fullbacks, they whip it into the box or up to Mo or, or, or Mane and, and they do that kind of thing. So um, I, as far as a whole balance goes, I think we're probably the most balanced we've been um, since back in the heydays of the late 80s. Oh, that's, wow. that's we're talking said. we're talking decades, like... Oh, for sure. We've never we've never had that kind of balance of attack and defense in the past. So since the Premier League sort of came in, and you know when Rafa was in, we had a great defense and we had a great strike. You know we had a great striker, but we didn't play attacking football. We played counter attacking football. Um, so we weren't going out to try and score ten goals. Uh, whereas this team, it's hard to explain it. Um, we attack, but we don't. Then we counter-attack and we just get in people's faces. It's, it's just a different type of football, you know, uh, and I think we've got the balance right now. We've got the players. You know, uh, our biggest positional problem was that number six role. Henderson was never meant to play that role. Wijnaldum was never meant to play that role. And I think now that we have that solid number six, it has given us that perfect balance and the perfect spine, you know. Um, Allison, DVD, Fabinho, Bobby. You know, and we've got it. We've just got it right. I don't know what else I can say. 
it, it's something where you, you have to you have to pinch yourself every now and then. And you know, Klopp, Klopp's big thing was um, we're going to turn you all into believers, and it's still it's still hard to believe. You know, <laughs> we've we've won the Champions League, we've won the Super Cup, um, and it's still. I, I, you know, I find myself pinching myself. It, it's still so hard to believe that that this is my team. This is, <laughs> you know, it, it's mental. Like we we say it all the time. We're we're witnessing history. It's like you said, Chris. It's hard to put your finger on. We're just we're electric. It, it, it no matter who you come up against. Obviously, Chelsea went away to Europe as well, and they got beat. But um, I guess it was nice that that we. Uh, had our first game in the Premier League against another uh, team that went away in Europe. Okay. But um, constantly having to, to pinch myself and, and slap myself in the face and, and you know, grinding out a 2-1 win plenty of years ago that, that we would have capitulated. Um, obviously, VAR <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, gave us a little boost and, and we went up and we smelt more blood and, and then... Bobby gets the second, but uh, it's just constant disbelief at the 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 majesty of what we're witnessing. It's it's incredible, it's unbelievable. I mean, people look so people look at the way we play, right? And they look at us at Anfield. I mean, we're unbeaten at Anfield, and God knows how long now. A couple you know? of years now, <laughs> and and it's it's kind of like people, you know, I I have these arguments of teams you don't want to play. Uh, for me, Napoli are one of those teams. They're always a team that give us trouble. Uh, that's a team I don't want to play. People are saying, who would you rather not play, Liverpool or City? Now, I don't want this to sound in any kind of way biased, but I would rather play City at this stage than play Liverpool if I was not any of those two teams. Because we don't look... I mean, apart from that second half and us looking a bit shakier, that was to do with being tired probably. It's the start of the season. We've played a lot of games. We've had some tough games, but... Um, it, it's I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you would you would rather play Liverpool than City? Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing: City look vulnerable. Yes, they're an amazing attacking team, but they look vulnerable at the back. You know, um, they don't have Laporte in there. Odomendi isn't the greatest in the world. Um, I mean, he's good on his day or whatever. John Stones, he's injured now. Uh, they played Fernandinho in there on on Saturday and whatever. But you know. That team against someone like Juventus or Barcelona or even us, as opposed to Watford, is going to be a very, very different proposition. I mean, even that Watford game, Watford got forward a few times and looked kind of dangerous, you know, but they really didn't have much to do. But with us, I mean, is anybody afraid to go to the Etihad? I've never heard anybody say, oh, I'd hate to go to the Etihad. <laughs> You know, the place yeah. is half empty. I mean, always half empty. You know, the place, I mean, whatever with City and and uh, all the jokes about oh they haven't had supporters since two thousand nine uh, and all this kind of stuff. No, I, I can remember City before they became the big money team they are. We're very much a grassroots football club. We're very much Manchester, yeah. and the joke was in Manchester was, um, if you're from Manchester, you support Man City. Absolutely. If you're if you're from London, you support United. You know, so it, you're spot on there. And Main Road was one of those one of those places to go old school football ground. Um, you know, in the same way of Highbury and White Hart Lane and all those kind of things. Um, 
But now with Etihad, it's always empty. Well, not empty, but I mean, it's always half empty. Um, there's not much in the way of atmosphere. I mean, they tried to get us back with the Champions League thing two years ago, um, trying to recreate the, the atmosphere at Anfield, and it just didn't work. You know, they pulled the Chelsea move and started putting plastic flags out and all that kind of stuff, and it's just not... <laughs> they're trying to create a false atmosphere. Right. You know, and when you go in and you look at... You know, even when you look at Stamford Bridge, I mean, yes, we can laugh at them bringing out flags of Eden Hazard. I mean, what? Um, but, um, you know, they're doing all that kind of stuff. And again, they put out the plastic flags and things like that. Whereas you don't need to put flags out for 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 supporters. No, we, we, we bring our own. We bring our own. Yeah. They, they, every other team as well. They all have their own supporters. Crystal Palace, unbelievable support. Make all the noise in the world, flags, all that kind of stuff. Um, they don't need to put out plastic flags. And they're one of the lower teams in the league. Surely they would be needing to bring people in. You know, so it just shows you um, Chelsea are very much um, 10 years ahead of City in the sense that, right, yeah, you know, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea are what, Chelsea were 10 years ago what City are now. Correct. You know, so there's, it's a lot of bandwagoning and a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. And with all that success, I mean, those are two great teams to talk about in terms of like ticket prices skyrocketing just to fund their, the, these, adventures that their oligarchs are, are taking with these teams uh, that drives out the real fans. I mean, yeah. even every so often you do hear little grumblings from Anfield about some of the, the people in the terraces, just like not knowing the songs and it kind of annoys some of these diehards that go there every week. And, and you do see it. I mean, when you try and get tickets for champions league games or, or such, it's very much, uh, you have to know somebody, and it's it's they're tough seats to get, and they're sort of they're pushing the fans that bring the flags out, and that's probably why you see the the palaces and the Newcastles, whose tickets aren't aren't as expensive as some of these bigger clubs, and they can still afford to take you know the two kids and the dad going with with an uncle yeah. or something to a game, and that's that's really where you build the atmosphere, and and like you said, when you can only afford to to go to a game if you're making tons of money and you go to a game in a suit and sit in a box like you're not you're not there to chant or, or sing so it is a false atmosphere and I think that's one thing that I hope all this success doesn't take Liverpool and I, I don't think it will just because it's always been sort of a blue collar team but and, and it really feels as though this is the first at least in terms of when I since I've been following or been old enough to understand beyond football and and talk about ownership and and uh, just purchasing rights of teams, I really feel like FSG sort of gets the the Liverpool mentality, and I really hope that they continue to instill that kind of stuff, and we don't take the same roads as, as Chelsea and, and City have, because it does drive fans out. Well, I, I think that's kind of the difference as well. The, the fact that FSG are willing to sit down with like the likes of Spurs, Shankly, and and the rest of those groups, um, you know. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Chelsea do it as well, and I'm sure City probably do it, but there just seems to be a bit more um, of a connection between our ownership and our, and our management. And there's always been that kind of thing with Liverpool. You know, um, if you go back to the... I think there, there's a lot of the... Um, you know, like you were saying about the, the old heads and the cop, all the flag carriers and the guys that have been doing it for 30 years, 40 years, and, and, and been going there their whole life. And all of a sudden... You know, you've got Americans and Australians and Canadians and 
Indians and Chinese people coming from all over and buying up these seats in the cop because they can afford to do it. Right. You know, because it used to be very much, you know, football is a working man's game. Soccer is a working man's game. You know, back in the 80s, you know, you would go for a pint and a pint, um, walk down to the match and pay five pounds to get in and then come out after the match and head to the pub and you could be maybe sitting with the players in the pub drinking. Absolutely. You know, and then you get into the modern day era when the Premier League came in and all that money was sky and all this other stuff and it all just exploded and all of a sudden these players became global superstars and they became untouchable and and it got to the point where it wasn't, you know, it isn't considered the working man's game anymore. You know, even though... 90% of the fans are the working class heroes, you know? So, um, it, it, yeah, modern football, there, there's a, there's give and take there, you know, and we have to look at, you know, Man City moving from main road with 30 odd thousand seats to 50 or 60,000 with the Etihad and then almost tripling the prices of their, their tickets, uh, to cover the cost of all this kind of stuff and to cover the cost of their billion dollar squad and, and, and everything else, it, it just, I can understand why it's empty, half empty half the time. And I can understand why a lot of Liverpool fans complain about foreign fans. But you have to understand that this is an international game and it's the biggest game on the planet. And the Premier League is the best league in the world, watched by everybody. So you have to expect that we're going to have, you know, foreign fans. I mean, I, I used to get stick as well. I'm not from Liverpool. I'm from Northern Ireland. Precisely. So, when I was I'll, on the cop, I'll give you a for instance. I remember standing on the cop. Well, not standing; it was sitting, but yep. uh, standing as you do. You know, you stand up and you cheer. And I remember hearing somebody from behind just saying, "Ah, don't worry about him. He's he's just another patty on the cop." And yep. it's like, you know, it, I, there's an old quote I read. Um, I've got a book of quotes. Um, uh, I forget what the book's called now, but it says one of these great quotes. It says, "You've you've never been." to the cop unless you've had your back pocket pissed on as you <laughs> as you were standing there and yeah. like that that's the way it was it very much a working man's club and very much you know you're all in it together it was mental on the cop and it, if you wanted that bit of madness you went right into the middle of it and if you didn't yeah. You, yeah. you hung to the sides you know yeah. but um you, you're very you're very right chris sorry to cut you off but it, that's good. you're completely right mate like uh it, it's a it's a homegrown team, you know? Oh, yeah. but And that's the thing as well. I mean, for, for the Irish and Scottish especially, when Liverpool started, you know, the majority of the team was made up of Irishmen and Scotsmen. So there's always been that connection. And there's always been a lot of Scottish players and Irish players coming through. You know, you only have to look at Kenny and, and all those guys. You know, um, there's always been that connection with the club. But there's always been a pocket of, of sort of Liverpool fans um, and, I, and I'm sure it's it's the same in all clubs because I can remember back in the Irish League uh, with Linfield and Glen Thorne, it, it didn't matter. There was always that kind of elitist kind of fan group that were like hardcore. You know, I, I remember some Glen Thorne supporters from, from Belfast uh, across the road from Victoria Park, which is just down the road from the Oval. Right. And, if you, if, and if, you, if you didn't live within spitting distance of Vicky Park, you weren't a real Glen man. Uh, exactly. You know, so there's always that elitist side of things, but we, we have to understand that with the modern game comes modern things. And if we want to be this international, you know, super club that's going to go out there and win all these trophies and have all these international players, we have to understand that there's international fans there. 
and their money is just as good as anyone else's. Just as green as everybody else's, yep. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, they may not know the songs, do you know what I mean? But they can learn them. After 90 minutes, they will. They will, yeah. 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 There's been plenty of times I've been at Anfield and I've went in there and there's been a new song and I went, what the hell's this? And within five minutes of them singing it, I'm singing it with them. You know, so it's it's one of those. I think it's just they're just people are looking for things to pick at, and it's little things like that that are considered, you know, the the basis or you know the basics of being a football fan is you know knowing players' names, knowing the songs, all that kind, of, knowing a bit of the history and all that kind of stuff. And and you know, for new, I think we touched on this not long ago uh, in one of the other pods about you know coming into to support the club. Um, actually, I think it was Chris Unique on the Nashville one, and he was talking about how you know years and years ago he got a Liverpool top, and then he actually didn't come back to supporting the club again until 2011. Um, till way right. after. Yes, I just listened to that one. Yeah, you know, and 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 I'm sure you know he would go to Liverpool and they'll say, "When did you start supporting Liverpool?" And he'll say 2011, and he'll get laughed at. But there was a time when all these people weren't Liverpool supporters, you know. So you, ha- you have to give people a chance. Some people have only just discovered football as a sport. Like I, I know one guy that was hardcore NFL. Now all he watches is the Premier League because the NFL bores him and there's too many adverts. So you, yeah, you, think, you have to give people a chance, you know? And I think especially we now with, with social media, you know? Sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah. no, it's all right, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's, 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 you know, we, I feel like all of us sort of know somebody and for us, I mean, as diehards, I feel like we're probably responsible for some of it too, like dragging <laughs> these other other uh, sports fans out. And I know a few a few of my friends who didn't want anything to do with this sport until you know I took them to a bar or something at, at nine o'clock in the morning, and everyone's singing, and we're twenty five hundred miles away from the stadium, and just like you know, and then he's going there by himself, you know, asking me where the hell I am, and and just like I, I think you do have to get started at some point, especially in this country with like how easy it is to get a hold of games now with, with NBC's coverage. I think that there's going to be a lot more new fans and, and some of the ones that I got involved with, you know, when I was in college 10 years ago or so, I mean, now they're completely versed in the history of where they could go into the stadium and be quizzed and probably, you know, they would get the laughs at first, you know, when did you start supporting, uh, you know, 2009, 2010, They'd get the last at first, but as soon as you start asking them questions, they could probably pass any test that a scouser, a true scouser, would would ask them. So I think that you do have to sort of give these fan, fans a chance to get into it. Well, you only have to look at the uh, like those NBC match days and stuff. I know NBC aren't our our favorite people in the world because of the whole you know Neil Ashton thing, but um, except in that, if you if you look at their coverage and you look at like I, when I moved to, I moved to America in, in 2013. And it was the year that um, we went we went second with Suarez and, and Rogers and stuff like that. And you know, I got married here on the fourth, and and I think everybody's heard my story about you know the Crystal Palace game the day after my wedding. We won't um, make you tell it again. No, no. We won't make you relive <laughs> but, that one. <laughs> but I, I can I can remember um, you know when I arrived in Florida and I was looking at these match day things, and I think it was I want to say it was from Texas. I'm not too sure. I can't remember exactly where it was from. But there was maybe 60, 70 people there. And there was a couple of pods from other other uh, supporters groups. There was Arsenal fans, Chelsea fans. And then the last one they did, um, I saw one they did in Miami. 
with, with our mates down in, in uh, LFC Miami. And they had Seamus there from the WWE, and the place was rammed. And uh, there was hundreds of hundreds of people there. And then they're doing another one here in Texas in a couple of weeks. And I'm telling you, that's going to be slammed. You know, so the progression over the last five years of the Premier League in America, from me being here five years ago and struggling to find somewhere to watch a Liverpool game, to now being able to walk into any number of 10 bars in my in, in where I am now in Knoxville and being able to watch a football match. You know, so it's 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 definitely grown. And America, uh, especially with your sports and how, you know, sports is looked at here. You know, most people I know that are into the NFL also watch college football and they know everything there is to know about that college, the players. Like some of these people I've never even heard of. And these guys are like, oh, this guy's like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how the hell did you get this information? <laughs> you know, um, and I've seen a lot of these guys now applying that to our game. Uh, and what I've noticed about the American fan base is it's not just about picking a team and going, oh, that's my team. It's about picking a team and learning everything there is to know about that team. Because most of the people I know that are new Liverpool fans know a hell of a lot, <laughs> you know, because of the internet and they can research. But that's a thing for a new fan. If you want to be a fan of a football club, you go in and you research everything there is to know about that club. And that's very much a, a thing that I've noticed with the American fan base over the UK. You know, it's just kind of expected that you know in the UK, whereas here, soccer is still considered a new sport, you know, for, for fan base. Um, you know, even though they've tried over the years with the NASL and the MLS and all that kind of stuff, it never really kicked off domestically here. But with NBC taking up uh, the Premier League, it, it's just changed the whole landscape of soccer in America. And, um, and I think it's a good thing. Absolutely, man. It, it it couldn't be at a, a more perfect time as well. Like, you know, I, I take uh, my wife, for example, you know, she had to listen to me sing constantly for two years when we were on uh, the European trail. And, you know, she, she was always right there by my side at the games and whatnot. But, you know, she'd, she'd get distracted or, you know, yeah. be on the phone or whatever. And, you know, uh, this is a woman who's known me for 15, 16 years now. And, well, yeah, it is. Um, she's going to kill me now in a second if I get that wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, in all seriousness, now she, you know, after two years of me singing down her throat, LA, 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 you know, she's right there with me. Um, we went to the game there at the weekend and, you know, she's right at the very front cheering on Bobby Firmino's goal and, watching Trent and watching all these boys. And, you know, two years ago, if I had asked her who her favourite player was, she probably would have said Stevie G. Yeah. Um, but now she knows them all, you know, and, and that's that's very much the way the world's going, the way America's going towards the game. And long, long may it rain because, um, you know, <laughs> he may not be the most popular figure, uh, Conor McGregor, but as he once said, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you just gotta you just gotta look at the the amount of of official Liverpool supporters clubs that are popping up all over the place, you know. Um, and again, harping back to what Chris Unix said, and then and talking about Nashville, you know, I, I'm in Nashville, so I'm just down the road from him. They just got their OLSC. Uh, Chattanooga just down the road from us just got theirs. Memphis, um, and we've applied for ours. Ours should be coming through soon. So. It, it, you know, it's just crazy the amount of supporters clubs that are popping up all over uh, and the size of the supporters clubs. I mean, even when I started with LFC Knoxville, 
there was maybe a good solid crew of about 10, 15, which were for games. And on big games, it would be 20, 30. I mean, yesterday we had, I think, close to 60. Um, That's unreal. You know, uh, and and that was with a load of people missing. You know, so it, it's definitely grown. And, and I think as Liverpool, it's been perfect for Liverpool because we're, we've kind of come into the forefront. We've, we've got American owners that everybody in America knows. Everybody knows who John Henry is. You know, they all know the Boston Red Sox. So it's made, a, made it very easy for a lot of teams to, or a lot of, a lot of people in America to, to pick a Premier League team. You know, you look at Arsenal, American ownership, you know. Um, uh, I think some of the, there's a couple of other teams that have American ownership. Uh, Aston Villa, Randy Lerner, um, they're American owners. So it, it, I think it's become a lot easier for American fans to love football now, uh, especially since the women's team, uh, the U.S. women's team, just annihilate everything uh, they come up against. So that that's, I think, a combination of the two has kind of really helped propel soccer in America. Uh, and I've realized that we're, we've gone way off on a tangent. It's probably my fault. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, mean, I, I mean, that's the thing, you know. It's, it's, it's become sort of, you know, outside of sort of, when you look at Europe, it's all football. Uh, and nothing else. Maybe a bit of rugby and maybe some other wee sports in here and there, a bit of athletics and stuff. But, you know, you come to America and you compete with basketball, you have to compete with baseball, NASCAR, freaking, you know, there's so many sports in this country. And the biggest sport in the world, the biggest watch sport in the world, football, um, is, is way down the list, or it was way down the list. It's now, you know, and I, and I think a lot of the controversy and, and the controversy in, in sort of the NFL um, and all that stuff. We're not getting into that, but I think that's helped a lot of people sort of jump ship and, and find something else, you know, something that's not as politically charged. Because um, football, you know, there, there's a lot of political sort of stuff that happens with football, but it's not, it's not like here where um, it's so divisive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. My, I think my biggest issue with with American sport is the fact of playing the national anthem before every game. I think that causes a lot of divisiveness. Um, I don't see the need for it. I understand if it's an international game and you're playing another team and you have to do that, but before every single sporting event, um, it, it just, I think it, it, it perpetuates this um, hatred thing because it gives you know opportunities for people to protest. And not that I'm against protestation at all, you know, a lot of these guys are, are doing this for great causes and, and really worthy causes and, and for stuff that they really believe in and a lot of stuff that I believe in. But um, I think that kind of stuff needs to be kept out of sport. You know, these guys have got a voice on their social media platforms and everything else. But given people this opportunity to cause divisiveness, we know it's going to cause divisiveness. We know that, you know, Kaepernick taking a knee is going to piss off 50% of America. And then there's going to be this argument about whether... You don't get that in football. You don't get that in soccer because we don't have to deal with that political kind of thing. You know, um, take a look at somebody like Mo Salah, who yeah. is an absolute gentleman. And he's brought England as a nation almost mm -hmm. together. Like I, I read a statistic that racism in the country is, towards um, towards Muslims is down and people attribute it a lot of it. To, to professionals and, and people who are in the spotlight, people like Mo Salah, who are just so likable. It's, um, it's mad. It's great. It's fantastic.
Well, the, fact that, well, the fact that you have a, a, in our club people on the cop, there's actually a song about I'll be a Muslim. I'll too. be a Muslim too. Where's another goal? I'll be Muslim too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's breaking down barriers and, and, and that's done in a positive way, but he hasn't come out and went, I'm a Muslim and you have to support me because I'm Muslim and, and they haven't done all that. You know, there hasn't been that whole thing. He just got on about his business, you know, throws a couple of million pounds here and there to schools in Egypt and and just just is an all-round nice guy, you know. Sadio yeah, Mane is an, yeah, another he one. He the run for president and wasn't even in yeah. the running. He was a write-in. Yeah, he, like, he came in third or whatever and he was just a write-in. And he wasn't even on the ballot. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. But yeah, the same with, with Mane, who who at the same time always asks for no media when he does things like that. I mean, the, yeah. he's bought like uh, a soccer training field, uh, like a like a youth development program out there. He's built schools. He just built a hospital and always asks for the media not to cover it. I mean, that you don't see that kind of stuff. Like even LeBron James, like a really popular figure here in the States, there's always he's always asking it's always a publicity stunt i feel when he comes over one thing about lebron james and we probably shouldn't speak bad about him because he owns part of the club but <laughs> in he comes when he came over when he first uh, bought some shares in the club he comes over and uh steven jarrett's there and he's he presents him with a liverpool jersey with lebron on the back and hands it to him and then lebron hands steven Gerrard a lebron jersey yeah, just like, oh my God, come on, really? And then he yeah. hands up, he hands up uh, the Beats audio to like the the headphones to all the players. Like, man, even the even the reserve guys probably make as much as you do. They can afford Beats headphones. <laughs> but no, I was going back to the the supporters clubs and things when when we first created our. I gotta plug it because I spent so much time doing it. But we we found, we made our map. I was shocked by the amount of support and messages we got for different different bars all across the u.s that watch liverpool games it was absolutely unbelievable and i just kept i thought it would be you know a quick like 20 25 things in, in major cities and it was just like opening them. pandora's box it really was i mean there's like a hundred and something like when you zoom out it just the you can't even see the shape of the country because there's so many icons all over it you really have to zoom in to get it to, to see where all these bars are because there's five or six in the, in the different cities i mean for the liverpool game this year for the the tottenham uh liverpool final i mean it was a what two o'clock central time kickoff yeah and my family got to the bar at 9 a.m and it was sold out like they were pushing yep. people out my and god this year that the, the the doors opened at six and they said there was a line out that starting at four o'clock in the morning for a two o'clock game this year. Luckily there was, they did a, like an overflow. They had a plan this year. There were seven bars that they were pushing people to in different parts of the city. But when we played real Madrid, it was absolute chaos. There was literally Liverpool supporters walking like, all over Chicago, trying to find bars and, you know, calling to each other from the other side of the street. Hey, there's my friend said there's a, there's a group gathering at this bar. Why don't you head down and, we ended up we ended up getting into a bar that we just went to this year, but I wanted to check out to see what uh, AJ Hudson's was was doing, and the bouncer had said that there was a line out starting at four a.m. in the morning for a two o'clock game. So it's it's unbelievable. Well, I think looking at looking at last year's final compared to this year, I did last year's final in Orlando, 
um, with the uh, with the crew there, and um, and we were at the Harp and Kelt, and that place was just packed. Uh, and I've been going there for a while, so it was cool. But this year for the final, I was here in Knoxville, but I was looking at the Orlando crew because I'm still part of their group and I still interact with a lot of those guys, and um, and I'm still very friendly with a lot of them. Made some good friends there. Um, they they had like three or four bars and it was ticket only event like you had to buy a ticket to get in compared to last year where it was just show up and hope for the best so yeah i can understand that with what was happening up in chicago as well with people just moseying around the street like even at halftime we went out onto the street and it was just people everywhere you know and um yeah i mean here in knoxville we just we actually just moved into a new place um we had been sharing a bar with pretty much half of the premier league teams in Knoxville, and eventually this year, a lot of teams have went out and got their own bars, and we moved into Finn's Tavern, um, oh, and it's a it's an Irish bar owned by a guy from Dublin. He's a Reds fan, and um, it, it just worked out perfect for us. But for the, we did the Champions League there um, this year, and we had over 150 people. And you know, and we we sort of did that last minute. We were like, oh, Champions League final, let's do it at Finns. It's going to be our new home. Let's get everybody there. Let's get all the LAFC Knoxville there, and let's put an ad out there and get everybody going. We were expecting maybe 50, 60 to turn up because that's all we knew. What we didn't realize is moving into this bar, which is like on the other side of town from the other one we were in, opened up a whole new market of people that oh, lived wow. on this side. This side of town that didn't want to go all the way over to the other side of town to watch the game. And all of a sudden, we had 150 people. And I, and I want to say about 140 of them were Liverpool fans. We had a couple of Arsenal fans and a couple of Spurs fans in there, but it was 100% a Liverpool fan fan base. And that was crazy because there was even people in the restaurant downstairs coming upstairs to see what all the noise was because we were <laughs> we were making so much noise, singing, like just getting on. People were like, what's going on up here? And they were like, oh, it's Champions League final. What's that? Oh, it's a soccer game. Oh, soccer? Really? People are really that into it. And I was like, yeah come and join us, come in and join us, and, and more and more people. And, and a lot of those people that came to join us for the Champions League are now official members of LFC Knoxville. It's infectious. You know, and we're, we're talking about the world game here. This is it. It's yep. it's, uh, it's an all-encompassing, all-infectious, all-welcoming uh, family event. And, you know, we... we you know, I, I have a tendency especially to, to lose my cool and shout and sing <laughs> and curse and scream and... But but it is it's a it's a a very welcoming vibe, you know. And me in North Carolina, us boys in North Carolina, we're in a, a smaller city, but we're poised and, and ready for the the sure to be onslaught of new fans that that this great movement and uh, not even just Liverpool, but the whole soccer vibe in America, which you know, as Chris said earlier on, the, the women's team and all these sort of other catalysts are are have to be praised for and and you know we're I'm in a small little city it's probably about 150,000 uh, population but uh, rally just up the road from me have huge attendances yeah, yeah. you know so uh, sort of Charlotte, in, Charlotte as well exactly so us boys in North Carolina are, are representing as well but um, in my small little city we're we're waiting with bated breath for for the swarms of people that are going to be coming yeah i think it's the the expat thing as well like if you look at all the if if you go around all the official supporters groups or even just the supporters groups um you're gonna find people like me and jimmy you know 
all the expats that have sort of come across and and are bringing that culture with us oh, you know definitely. um I, I look at i look at my group here in knoxville and and um i'm the only irishman in the group apart from john the owner of the bar um we have a a, a couple of hispanic guys uh mexican guys um you know and, and soccer's huge there as well so we're we're bringing those two cultures together that are all about football and then we have the americans who you know they'll they'll go and cry into their beer after ut lose another game um and then come and, and get cheered up again watching liverpool um so yeah there's I, I think that's when i when i've been around sort of orlando especially now orlando is a is a holiday town is a vacation a destination spot. yeah it's a destination so i mean the majority of that group um stevie roberts he's originally from liverpool he was at hillsborough um big kevin he's from doncaster a lot of those guys down there um we philly that works behind the bar uh, at the harp in orlando um he, he's from dublin or he's from just outside dublin um kildare direction so <clears throat> there's a lot of those a lot of the fan bases are kind of um being built up by the expats and it's helping i think give a bit of validation to the groups does that make sense um that these other people coming in to join the group can see that there's you know europeans or or you know nationalities that are traditionally 100 percent football fans um and, and it's and like you said it's infectious um when you start singing and you see everybody cheering and stuff you just want to join in because it's just fun you know and a lot of these people are saying that because it's not something you see at nfl games you'll go oh let's go defense or let's go michigan or let's go vikings or whatever that's the chance are but it's not like soccer you know soccer is very unique in the sense that it has this sort of tribal um I don't know. It's, it's it's not warfare in a way, but it's just. But it is. It's back and forth. Like yeah, these back ends of fans, you know, even sing, sing, sing to each other. Yeah, you know? singing back and forward. You know, they all have different versions of the same song. Sometimes right. singing about the same player. You know, Chelsea fans right, talk about yeah. Stevie Stevie G slipping, and we we chant about him being the greatest midfielder ever. And and you know, it just you just don't get that with other sports, not in America anyway. I don't think. You get the rivalries, but you don't get that kind of tribalism, um, and and that kind of that that togetherness that that soccer fans have, you know, the firms, the you know those sort of things. It's it's just unique to to anything and to any sport, uh, and I think it's now becoming more and more accessible, uh, especially to Americans uh, as they, you know, with the internet and Netflix and all these. You know, all of a sudden, British TV shows are the new favorite thing in the in in the US. Um, so yeah, it, it's that whole counterculture thing, and everybody is now. It used to be, you know, oh, what are the Americans wearing? What are the UK wearing? Oh, what's Australia wearing? Well, the thing is now, everybody's wearing the same. They're all wearing the same clothes. They're all listening to the same music, and they're all doing, you know, the same things because of the internet, because of social media, because of, you know, this accessibility to everything in the world. Um, and now that soccer has become more accessible to America, it's now just starting to climb that ladder um, because it, it, it's it's hard not to get just get sucked into it. Well, well, since we since we talked about people getting sucked into it, I'll I'll try and get us back on track here a little bit because <laughs> we could probably go on for another hour. Or two. Oh yeah, easily without a, without a doubt. There's so much passion in it, but uh, we'll. 
finish off the Premier League by saying uh, I I feel like the next six games for us are probably oh, in the league are are probably defining moments in the season, or at least one that we'll look back to with fondness. We've got Sheffield away, Leicester at home, United away, Tottenham at home, Villa away, and then City at home. That brings us into November. And we've also got a couple of uh, Champions League games. So we have Salzburg at home before the Leicester game. Mm. We've got Gank away before the Tottenham game. And the big one is Gank at home before the City game. But City are away to Atalanta before they play us. I I really feel like the the next six will will push us into at least the busy season because there's a a ton of games like that. You, everyone knows that that the end of December, beginning of January is just insane, and it can make and break your season. We always talk about you can't lose the league or you can't win the league in in December, but you can definitely lose it. How do you guys feel about those next six, or do you think that the the test is probably at the second half of the season and not this one? I think. Um, sorry, Chris, I'll jump oh, in. But I'll give you time to think about it here. Um, I think the next six, if they're anything like the first six, which you know United are thrown in there, uh, City away, and I'm sure there'll be another uh, international break. Is it after the City game? Um, I think if the if these next six are anything to go by, because the start of the season, we've, we've just hit the grass running. Um, and very much the, the word from the camp back back at Melwood and back at Anfield is everybody's just taking it one game at a time. And obviously that's that's the, the age-old cliche, one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. But uh, everybody seems to have level heads. Everybody seems to nobody's getting carried away with it. Obviously, like you said, you can't win it. Um, maybe we should change it. Maybe you can't win it by Halloween, but, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're right there looking at it. And, um, city are, are licking their lips at the five points. You know, they're, they're worried about those five points and rightly so, because I don't, uh, United are obviously floundering the, like a dead fish right now. Um, Sheffield next. I, I, I just don't see a team that's going to stand up to us and and try and take it from us because we seem to have a, a an answer and a response for for any setup or uh, any defensive minded team who wants to come and and defend their their low block and um, we just break them down. So the the next six will be a great gauge on on how far we've come, but uh, we're looking. Unbelievably strong. And my my dad was joking. By December, we should automatically qualify for Champions League next year if it keeps up this way. <laughs> That's well, I was I, I was thinking ahead. about that last night. I was like, if we go ten games unbeaten, and then I was like, hold on, if we go thirteen games unbeaten at the start of the season, we've escaped relegation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, forty points is that magic number. I mean, if we can get the thirty-nine points by Christmas, we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Phew. Well done. No, no, I think these 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 next six games are huge, and I think the Sheffield game, um, I think that's a bigger game than than people give credit for. Um, you know, Sheffield United have come up into the Premier League, you know, for the first time in a long time, and and they're up to to try and prove a point. And they've, you know, they've had a go. Um, I just think they they won't have enough for us, but. When I look at some of the other games, you know, you look at them and you go, oh, Spurs, oh, City, oh, United. 
last year I would have been like, uh, this year, the the only one I'm actually kind of worried about is Leicester. Yeah. Um, they're the only ones I think that I would have a worry. I mean, Tottenham on their day are always good. United on their day are always good. But we know what they expect with them. We know what they expect with City. We know they're going to be tough games. Leicester is one of those teams that were kind of like, all right, last couple of seasons, they haven't been great since they, since they won the league and everything else and the turmoil and stuff that they've been through with losing their, their owners and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, the way they did. Uh, you know, Brandon's got them playing half-decent football. Uh, they've got some great players there. Um, they've had some great results so far and they're, they're making a push for it. Can they sustain it? I don't know, but um, that's that's a game. That's probably the only game that I'm kind of on the fence about. Uh, the rest of them, I don't see... I don't see City giving us a problem at home. Um, they're going to give us a game, but they don't have the defence um, this season uh, unless Ederson has a wonder game and, and you know, Odomendi pulls it out of the bag from somewhere. But uh, United have looked shaky this season. Spurs have looked shaky this season. City have looked sh- shaky. Um, you know, Leicester have, have been the team sort of coming up through going... Hey, we could we could sneak in here and steal this top four position. Uh, so yeah, they'll be the ones to watch out for. Um, but yeah, the, the way I'm looking at it is, I kind of have this thing in my head: if we go unbeaten to Christmas, we'll win the league this year. Like I know you can't win it by Christmas, and you can lose it by Christmas. And the game we lost was after Christmas last year to City, but we had also drawn a load of games before that. So you know we've gone six games on the bounce. You know I. I we just constantly break records. Sadio yeah, Mane just broke a record. We just, you know, we're on, on the verge of breaking the Premier League record for consecutive wins. We're the only team to go this many te- games scoring two or more goals with wins. Um, I just don't see it stopping. I don't see a reason for it to stop, you know, um, unless we lost Klopp. Touch wood. God, I don't see that happening. Where's, where's... where's the wood at? But yeah, um, <laughs> I, I really don't see how we can, you know, make that big drop that we did, say, from the 80s team into the 90s or, you know, the 2001 team to the 2005 team to the now team. Um, I don't see a drop-off. And I don't see, you know, we're now one of those desirable clubs that everybody wants to come to. Everybody wants to play for club. Everybody wants to experience that Anfield um, atmosphere and, and what it's like to pull on that red shirt. And um, I just don't see it stopping. And the only team I think capable of 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 competing with us is City. But I just they just don't seem to have. I know they beat Watford eight 0 but they just don't seem to have that edge that they had last season. Um, there's some there's a spark missing from their team, and I think I my my thing is I think it's Fernandinho. Rodri brought into that number six role, and Fernandinho. Pushed out. I know he's 34, but even last year at 33, he was one of their best players. You know, so uh, and uh, they've changed up their style of play a little bit, and they're they're a lot weaker at the back than they have been. So, um, yeah, they'll give us a run, but I don't think there's a team. I don't think there's a team out there that that has the consistency to push us the whole way this season. Maybe City. It's got to take uh, confidence out of that City team as well to to look at us. You know, last year I read, um, just remembering the results from last year, I think we only beat Tottenham in the top so-called six. Yeah. Um, we had, you know, as you said, Chris, a, a few too many draws last season. 
Um, we laid down a huge marker against Chelsea at the weekend. I think um, I, I would kind of say less so with the Arsenal game, but um, I, that's the first marker we've laid down this season is, is coming back from Champs League and and beating Chelsea, uh, a resurgent, youthful Chelsea. Um, so I'll go along with you, Chris, mate. If, if, if we're unbeaten and, you know, Chelsea or sorry, City and other teams could potentially keep on dropping points uh, in between now and then. And if if that if this is the status quo, then, you know, it's got to take confidence out of their team to, to, you know, constantly be looking at Liverpool and constantly be looking at three points and constantly be looking up at us on top of the league. Well, that's the thing with the rival fans. You know, we're probably one of the most hated football clubs in the world with rival fans. And the reason they hate us so much is, you know, 70s and 80s, it was all of us. It was just Liverpool. Liverpool Liverpool at that time were the Barcelona of the 2000s. They were untouchable. They won everything inside and everybody hated them for it. And then the Premier League came along and united with their you know, air quotes, knocking us off the perch and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the worry has always been Liverpool are going to get back on top. And now that we're back on top, that whole hatred thing has just spilled over. Just the magnitude of it all now is they despise us. They can't hack us. And if you look at the league table at the minute, with six games played, we're 10 points clear of United and Spurs. Spurs, who we beat in the Champions League final last year, you know, two, <laughs> yeah. two, two teams that we that were supposed to make a run this season. I uh, kick on, you know, kick on and, and really go for it, and they haven't. We're ten points clear after six games, five points clear of City. Um, we were seven points clear of City last season, uh, and, and they they pulled it back. But I don't know. There's just something about this lead that we have now that it's kind of we're we're not giving this up, you know. We've got a, a squad of players that just won't give up. Uh, it as said with t-shirts, never give up. But um, yeah, these these this team is just something I've waited a long time for. You you said earlier on in the pod, there, Jimmy. You were like, I have to pinch myself, and it's not a, it's not even a case of pinching myself. It's just the disbelief that Liverpool are finally back where they belong. Mate, you just give me goosebumps all up and down my arms. <laughs> now, I'm a hairy man, but <laughs> each and every one of them is standing to attention right now. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, and we can we can let ourselves get carried away because, let's face it, lads, we're the unbearables here. And <laughs> we're going to live up to that reputation. And I'll, I'll put it this way. That reputation wasn't our idea. That was everybody else's idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and it's our league, obligation. It's our obligation to fulfill that promise. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. You know, everybody. Oh, Liverpool are going to be unbearable if they win the league. They're going to be unbearable if they win the Champions League. Fucking I wasn't, but I bloody well am now. No, I, I am, and that's the thing. I, it, it used to be, you know, <sighs> taking so much stick from United fans. You know, um, I don't really care about Arsenal. I don't care about Chelsea. I don't care about Spurs. They've never been a rival for me. 
you know, they've never been those rivals. That, yes, in the league and, and positioning and stuff like that, but the rivalry between us and Everton and the ever- rivalries between us and Man United are the two biggest rivalries in, in football, in my opinion. And having to listen to them, like, um, I think somebody mentioned earlier on about um, somebody called in the Radio Merseyside, an Everton fan, and said he would want Marco Silva sacked if Everton beat City. <laughs> what? That just tells you about the mentality of our opposing fans. That's, they just that's... can't. They just can't stop because we're back where we belong. It's, I keep Either putting way. that meme up. The rent free. We're living in people's heads. Rent free. All they can talk about is Liverpool. Yeah, because last year United, it when they were uh, when we were in our running, it was like the last five games, and it it was the City United game, and the United fans when they were polled by their own yep. forum, saying, "Would you rather win this game and let Liverpool win the title or lose this game and not qualify for Champions League?" And have City win the title, and it was like seventy-five percent said that they would rather just throw the game just so Liverpool don't win it. It's un- unbelievable. Could you imagine a Liverpool fan saying that about Everton? Oh no! Well, they wouldn't Not be a, a chance. <laughs> yeah, it just and you know, Gordon, I'm I'm glad you shouted out your dad earlier on, your 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 pops, um, because I was going to do it myself, like. Uh, 35 miles isn't a long distance between Liverpool and United, no. but um, you could double that. And, and, and Scousers, you know, they've always looked at, at the the United as a, a huge rivalry. Of course, Everton, we don't like to see them win. They've had, what was it, 8,888 days? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, well, um, I think it's 8,892. There you go. That's a, that's an updated version, um, <laughs> but uh, a big shout out to your dad because uh, what what would he say? You know. Oh yeah, I mean that you you couldn't you couldn't get him in the same room with those people. <laughs> <laughs> it, when my friends come over, it's usually the first thing. It, there's not even a game on. It could be midweek, and and some of my United friends would come over, and my dad would say something about him. You know. You see the game at the weekend, or you know, it has a good or texting. Oh, Sean watching it or whatever. So it's just it never it never stops with him. I think well, I think the whole United Liverpool thing as well. It goes deeper than football, you know, and it goes back to the entire. For anybody that doesn't know the history or or, or anything like, you know, it goes right back to that industrial age. You know, Liverpool and 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 Manchester were. You know, Liverpool's a very much a dark city. Um, you know, Manchester's a little bit off and they, they have the canals and stuff. They had the know. canals, exactly. They had the canals and, and there were a lot of the, you know, when the docks sort of, when they stopped building boats and that all shut down, um, a, a lot of the industry and everything else moved across to Manchester. Uh, and Manche- Manchester became this new industrial hub and it, and it hurt Liverpool a lot. So a lot of the, um, a lot of that is deep rooted. There's, there's always yeah. been rivalry between the two cities uh, and that culminates, you know, with Manchester United versus Liverpool. Which to me is the biggest game on the planet. It's bigger than Barcelona than Madrid, um, and it's it's way longer deep rooted than that game. You know, Barcelona uh, in essence aren't the historic club that Liverpool are. They they have history, but it doesn't go as deep. You know, it's it's been a lot more sort of recent for them to become this big superpower. Uh, uh, you know, Madrid used to be 
Madrid and Atletico used to be the two teams in Spain. Um, and then sort of Barcelona came along and, and you know, in, I, I want to say more sort of the 60s and 70s, but um, I'm spitballing here. But yeah, that, that whole deep-rooted thing goes way, way deeper than sort of football and, and it's a territorial thing. And I mean, Jimmy, you know yourself, you're from the same sort of neck of woods I'm from. You know yourself, whatever time, you know, I'm from Newton Arts. Our, our big rivalry was banger. Uh, you absolutely. Know? Um, and if you look at sort of places like uh, even, say, Banbridge or anywhere in Northern Ireland, you know, there, there's always those little pockets of, um, you know, Lurgan and Portadown hit each other, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So it, it's it, it's kind of... It's know, part it's of a, the makeup. It's, yeah, it's, it's part of the part makeup of, of the... It's part of what makes you, you know, you've, you've yeah. got to have these... You've got to have the villain. You've got to have the hero, and it—that's just the way of the world, you know. That's that's the way it is. Um, you you can't have the sunshine without the rain, you know. Exactly, exactly. Well, we'll finish up here by just looking forward. I know it's uh, it's MK Dons. It's midweek. It's the Carabao Cup. It doesn't mean too much, and it seems like we talked unanimously a couple of weeks ago about how. Uh, this is probably just a sleeper competition to, to get some of our, our youth a run out to give our, our first guys a break. But uh, I will say MK Dons is 15th in League One. And so for those of you that don't know, that's the third tier in, of English football. Um, and their current record right now is 4-0-5. and five. So they've won four, lost five, and the goal difference is negative two. Do you guys see anything for this game other than just watching – some of the the younger players get a chance to play. It'd be great uh, to to see a bunch of the young lads uh, get a run out. Um, I'm personally hoping to see possibly young Kelleher and um, the one who really shone for me preseason was uh, Larucci at left back. Um, other than that, midfield you've got plenty of options: Ox, Shakiri, whoever else. Milner, you know, whoever else can fill the team, but um, it'd be great to to see a couple of the young lads get a run out. Yeah, I think it'll be similar. It'll be similar to the preseason. I think uh, we'll see a couple of those young boys coming in. I don't think there'll be as many young lads as we think. I think Bobby will get a rest. Uh, Ryan Brewster will probably get a run with like Shaq, Lalana, uh, and that. I would I, honestly, I'd love to see Keanu Hoover. Get another uh, get another run out because I've been really impressed with him. I was really impressed with him in preseason, um, and I think he he's definitely one that's going to step up. You know, um, as for the mid, I think Milner gets a start. We'll probably see Lovren and Gomez. Um, yeah, Kelleher is apparently a shoe in for a start. Uh, I really don't see MK Dons having too much for us. I mean, I'm not a big fan of MK Dons, uh, uh, to be honest with you. Because I remember the old days of Wimbledon and the whole turmoil that that cost. And that, you know, in in soccer, it's not like American football where it's a franchise and you can just, you know, pick up the LA Raiders and take them to Oakland, you know, um, or, you know, take the LA Rams and, and move them to St. Louis. Um, they don't do it in soccer. They don't move. You know, it's it's Liverpool. Can you imagine Liverpool moving somewhere? That doesn't make sense. They're from Liverpool. Right. Um, so when Wimbledon, that whole thing, and they moved Wimbledon to Milton Keynes, uh, that was something that left a real sore taste in my mouth because at that time, you know, that was that was 
sort of the mid nineties. I was a teenager. I was very much engrossed. Uh, football was my life. That's all I cared about. You know, I played football all day, every day, and I watched football when I wasn't playing football. You know, because it was, was all over the news. You know, it was yeah. mental. It was it was a mad time. And it was crazy they've because got, they've got two splinter teams now. They've got uh, AFC Wimbledon and they've yep. got MK Dons. You know, it, I, I I don't know. It, it's I guess that's the way of the world now. You know, uh, and it just but I, I really don't see MK Dons having that much. I mean, they're a League One side, and and yeah, there's upsets and stuff, but I just don't think. You, you look at our squad, and you look even you look at the second string, should be annihilating a League One team. You know, there really shouldn't be a problem. And it's a Carabao Cup. A lot of people, like you guys were saying there, you don't put much stock on it and and, and everything else. I, I, I kind of, if we're going to win a, a domestic cup competition, I would prefer to win this one over over the FA Cup. And I think I've mentioned this before, is because it comes mid-season, it comes in February, when you need that little boost getting into the end of the season. Um, if we could win that, it'll give you a little push right to the end of the season for the league. But Because um, the FA Cup tends to just get in the way of games towards the end of the season because they have to, you know, there's draws and there's replays and all that madness. So it starts to mess up fixtures and you're ending up playing games on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and all this kind of stuff. So aren't we the I, record? Be, aren't we the record holders of the league cup as well? Uh, yeah, eight. I think we have. I want to say seven or eight. So you know, there's a history there. You know, why not? Well, you think about it, the last couple of years, you know, we, we got the final uh, and and we lost uh, to City, you know. Um, we got the final and we beat Cardiff yeah. on penalties. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's definitely a competition that we're, we can go deep in. And I think last year we came up against the Wolves team who were very much on the up and, um, and, and made a good run at that, that tournament. I actually thought they could have went on and win it. But unfortunately, you know, City did, but I, I don't think it's as much of a throwaway that, as people are, are, are giving it. You know, I, I actually prefer it to the FA Cup, which is strange because the FA Cup used to be the only thing people wanted to win. Well, it's changed. Long may continue. Do you guys, I know we kind of all spewed our uh, hearts out here. Do you guys got anything left in the tank? Any any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Jamie, sure start. I'll go ahead, Jimmy. <laughs> well, like you said, mate, we're sitting here at uh, upwards of an hour, but we could we could go on because there's plenty much we haven't talked about. Uh, obviously, the FIFA awards, but uh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, we could have walked away with a, a treble there tonight, and we didn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, at, yeah, it's it's just uh, a fantastic fantastic time. You know, the, the rest of my week is made up of still slapping myself across the face and, and, and joyously remembering the game and, and looking forward to the next one. And Wednesday, here we go, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's kind of at the point now where I just can't wait for games. And it's like, I can't get enough. Give me more games. You know, I, I just... <sighs> yeah, man, this game on Wednesday and then we play again on Saturday. I'm like, just just keep, keep them coming. Yeah, you know, right. Just, just keep the games coming. We'll play every day. Hook it to my veins. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> hook me up. But yeah, just talking on. I just want to touch on the awards. Forget about you know, Allison won his, and and VVD was beaten by Messi, and we're all kind of disappointed about that. Uh, but it's the FIFA awards. But I, I just want to talk about club 
uh, and in winning his award, instead of you know adulation for himself, he, he pointed uh, to a, a great charitable cause because the common common goal dot org, uh, and actually within an hour of him receiving that award, their website had crashed. And I actually tried. I actually tried to get onto the website before we started the pod, just to see if it was still, and it's still down. Still down. <laughs> still down. The power, the power that that man has. I mean, he's carrying everything he touches. I mean, he hasn't. He's never left the club that didn't want that. You know, they would go to the ends of the earth to try and keep him happy. Like even Dortmund fans still adore him. I mean, that he could walk back to that club. Mainz could would bring him back in an instant and there's not a, a single club on the face of this planet that wouldn't want him at their helm. So, I mean, he's, he's charismatic. He adopts the, the mentality of all these teams and at re- a really grassroots level. And he is, I know he doesn't like saying, or he doesn't like the, the uh, accolades and things like that, but I really, he is the living embodiment of Shankly in terms of, our players play for us and they're privileged to play a game. And honestly, you go and you, you train for it because you get paid a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it's just a game. And if you're having fun, you could beat anybody on the planet. And that is Shankly. And I think that's, uh, he's literally the perfect manager on this, on the planet right now for, for the Liverpool job. And I know for a fact that as much as some of these, other Premier League fans and teams kind of joke about he's just a giant Care Bear. Uh, they would bite your hand off to get him to coach him. And anybody that says they wouldn't have Jurgen Klopp as their manager is a fucking liar. Yep, absolutely. You know, um, I mean, I, I look at other managers, and we, I've had this conversation with some other fans, and about you know, if we didn't have Klopp, who would you want? No one. There's yeah. nobody. In, there's nobody. There's not a manager in the Premier League could do. Um, or could instill, you know, what Klopp has done at this club. As Gordo said there, um, very much in the spirit of Shankly, uh, that working class just, this is about the team. You play for the fans, you play for the club, and you play for the badge. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. As long as you're out here and you're doing your thing for the club, we're going to support you and we're going to give you everything. And, and Klopp is very much that, you know, you're here to play football, not to make money. You know, as a, you know the money's a, a nice byproduct of playing football, but he has a, a, you know, a core of players there that want to play for each other, you know, and and the media and the opposite opposing fans have to start making stuff up. Oh, Sadio Mane got pissed off at Mo because he didn't pass the ball to him, and then all of a sudden there's a big fallout and all, bullshit. You know, uh, they have to make stuff up about us and they have to do all this stuff and they they have to try and get in and, and cause because at the minute I think we're probably the tightest we've been. You know, yes, there's still the odd Liverpool fan out there that's FSG out and don't agree with the American ownership. And fair enough, you know, everybody has their opinion. But I don't think Liverpool has been as together uh, with the supporters, the players and the manager and, and everything as they have been in the past three years with the Jordan Club. Um, and I know, you know, Brendan Rodgers tries to put himself out there as a man of the people, you know, my, my fellow countrymen. But he, he was very much not um, what he portrayed himself to be. Um, nothing against Brandon, whatever, but it, it just didn't, it just didn't coordinate for me. Klopp is real. When Klopp opens his mouth, you're you're not expecting him to talk shit. You're not expecting him to give you this speech about character or you know uh, blaming the other team or the officials or all that kind of stuff. If we play bad and we lose, he comes out and goes, "We were shit." Uh, oftentimes, simple. that's a direct quote. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. you know, and, and and that's what we need as fans. We need that transparency. We need a, a manager and and an ownership crew and a coaching team and players that um, are accepting of the fans, because you can you can go out there and say, oh, I play for the fans and I do this. But when you look at our players and, and, and how they interact with people and, and the stuff they do outside of football, um, and, and I know a lot of fo- footballers do charity work and stuff, and, and I know you know, there's some great um, causes out there. But if you look at the stuff that our players do, you look at the impact that our players have had um, on, on certain people, you know, even in Liverpool, you know, the, the one kid that broke his nose Running the running into a lamppost because he was trying to chase Mo up a street. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mo turned his car around and come back. You know, I, I don't imagine. I can't see a lot of other players doing that. You know, just oh, we can't go back. We have to do this. You know, and I think it's testament to to Klopp and his leadership and the example that he sets. Um, and the players that he's brought in are very much in the same mold as him. That they're there to work and they're there to do the thing and they're there to just have fun and 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 be footballers and and. And be the best team they can be, without um, without getting too serious. I mean, I know we have to get down to get serious and play the game, but if, you know, you see from training is laughing, yeah, smiling. You never see anything bad come out of training. You never hear about training around bust ups. You never, you know, you never hear that you know, Klopp was this or Klopp was that. Yes, I know a couple of young players over the summer. We won't mention any names, but. Uh, mentioned some stuff, but I, I think they were just maybe thinking a wee bit too much above their station um, and weren't very much a part of that sort of the player we need. Um, and I think that that's why we're seeing some of the kickback with some of those players. But when you look at our squad, is there anybody in our squad you could see that looks unhappy, that looks like their head could be turned? No, it's all media driven. It's all people saying, "Oh, my, my Al Madrid are going to come and buy Mane." But Sadio Mane saying, "I'm happy in Liverpool. Why would I want to leave?" Precisely, so, man. you know, everybody seems happy. Nobody wants out. Uh, we've got the best manager on the planet. We officially have the best manager on the planet. We officially have the best goalkeeper on the planet. And I don't care what anybody says. In Virgil Van Dijk, we have the best player on the planet um, from the past year, anyway. Um, and then you just. Even in that FIFA Pro team, how Mane or, or Salah didn't get a look in, I don't understand. Um, how Robbo or Trent didn't get a look How the hell did Marcelo get in over Robbo? I, I don't understand God. that. It just makes no, it's, it's no sense. It's daylight to robbery. How it, must have been, it must have been Jersey sales. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know what's going on, but it's it's whatever. But this this core, this group, they're just they're such a togetherness. And even with the fans now, there there doesn't seem to be as much. Um, there used to be. I mean, I remember on the on the Rogers, there was a lot of bickering between oh, our yeah. fans, um, and there was a lot of the FSG out thing. I think FSG have stepped up, and and the FSG out crew are now pushed to the background, um, and everyone's now sort of got behind the the leadership and the ownership because they've done what they promised us. You know, they're expanding the stadium. They've brought in a. a the best manager on the planet. They've given him money to spend, and he spent it well. And we're winning again. We're back on top. And uh, and the fan base. I mean, yes, there's that odd bickery. They, you know, there's always going to be bickering online because there's trolls. But as far as as I see us as a fan base, I don't think we've ever been as together as we are now. You know, yeah. and I think that that comes down yeah. to Jurgen Klopp. 
Absolutely. And uh, before be- we're echoing Liverpool here, we're we're bound to be uh, producing a record of our own. It's bound to be the longest podcast we've ever done. But um, <laughs> I just a wee quick ane- anecdote here that uh, you boys kind of reminded me about. After City's defeat to Norwich, BBC do a phone-in live on the radio. And there was a City fan that phoned in. Uh, Robbie Savage is the guy that's holding the, 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 the phone-in. And uh, this City fan was complaining about Pep Guardiola. And he said, so who who would be a better manager than Pep Guardiola? Who are you going to get the, to get? Because he was all about getting Pep out. He said, Pep's done. Get him out. So Robbie says, who are you going to get in? He said, get, get Klopp in. Give Klopp all the money he wants and get Klopp in. <laughs> As if Klopp's going to leave Liverpool to join City. Like... I, it's unbelievable. Like you boys just said it, you just hit the nail on the head. You're spot on. Every single club in the world would bite the hand of us to get a hold of Klopp, and good luck to them because he is he's our our focal point. And and like you said, Gordo, he's he's shankly reincarnate. Like he's it, that's how much he means to to me. I'm sure he means that much to to fellow fans. You know. Oh, no, no. You definitely set up the, the holy trinity again of management players and fans like really come together as one force. And I'm, I'm sure that has as much to do with us winning constantly as it does the, the nature and the, the skills of our players. Because, I mean, ask the city players for that Champions League game in 2018. Ask them and tell me that those fans had nothing to do with that win. And I don't think you'll have any of them say say that the fans played no part in them just absolutely capitulating that game. So, and not I, only that, we waited outside the stadium for an hour and sang at the city fans when they <laughs> left the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just can't get enough. Well, with that, I'm gonna wrap up. Definitely our longest podcast ever on American Scouser. <laughs> and I think the big takeaway from this, and one I think that you guys will both agree with, is. It's fantastic that we're doing so well because there are there are thirty or sorry thirty one. There's nineteen other teams in the league right now that we're the last the, like the managers we're the last thing they think about before they go to bed and the first thing they think about when they wake up is when they're gonna play us. So I'll leave you guys with that. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. As always, you can like, subscribe, please leave comments, give us a good rating. It really helps. Uh, we do have a Facebook group page, the LFC America, as well as our own American Scouser page, and we do post blogs and, and other podcasts like that. So please like, subscribe, comment, just join in it. And if you thought we were full of shit, you're absolutely right, but please let us know. <laughs> you yeah, guys have a fantastic night. Thank you for joining me. Yes, Gordo, take it easy, dude. Up the Reds, lads. Take it easy. Up our heads. <laughs>